You're listening to The Archive, a collection of sermons and teachings from Pastor Mike and his peers from days past. Stick around for timeless truths that still speak to the issues of our days. Turn to the book of Job, verse 11, Job 17. You know, I'm a little behind the eight ball this morning, it seems like. I'm just saying words I'm not supposed to. No telling what I'm going to say. You better pray for me that I'll say what the Lord wants me to say this morning. I'm thinking ahead, way too far ahead this morning. Job 17:11. From the New American Standard Bible reads this way. Job is the, is the speaker. And Job says, My days are past. My plans are torn apart. Even the wishes of my heart. This last week, I consulted YouTube to see the concession speech which Richard Nixon gave when he was defeated in his run for the presidency in 1960. And what I saw, I had vague recollection of as a child, but I was really stunned. It seemed more like a victory speech than a concession speech. Nixon lost very narrowly in that race, but not only he and Pat, his wife, but also the crowd who was receiving the concession speech seemed to be upbeat, if not almost giddy. But the scene changed dramatically two years later when in the same state, his own home state of California, he had run for governor and had been defeated by Pat Brown. Do you remember what he said when he came to give that concession speech? He said, this is my last press conference. You won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. What he was saying through bitterness was, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm washed up. And in a sense, that's exactly what Job is saying in Job 17, verse 11. My days are past. My plans are torn apart, even the wishes of my heart. Now, it's understandable that he would feel that way. Because if you know anything about the book of Job, you realize that he had lost all of his fortune, ten of his children, all of his children had been killed in one fell swoop, He had lost his reputation. He was suffering health-wise. I don't know if he had a mirror to look into, but if he had looked into a mirror, he would have seen a reflection that would have frightened him. He wouldn't even have recognized himself. You may remember that he had three friends, Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad. And when they came to see him, their purpose in coming to see him was to comfort him. They were good friends in that sense. And the Bible tells us when they saw him, he was unrecognizable to them. They didn't even know it was Job. His body was so ravaged by whatever illness that he suffered from. For seven days and seven nights, the three friends of Job just sat there. They were in grief and shock at what they saw. And by the way, as an aside, the best thing you or I could ever do when we know somebody whom we love is suffering, is not to say a whole lot, just to be there. But they could not restrain themselves after a week of silence. They had to comment. They had to weigh in on understanding and helping him to understand why he was going through what he was going through. Eliphaz says in the fifth chapter 
of Job. Is not the fear of God your confidence? Is not the integrity of your ways your hope? To which Job must have, through clenched teeth, said later in the book of Job, My hope has been uprooted like a tree. I've just been pulled out of the ground. Now, Job was a man of incredible faith. I hope you know that. Because after all these bad things happened to him, he said, Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. And when his wife told him to curse God and die, you may remember what he said in response. He said, Shall we accept good things from the hand of God and not bad things from the hand of God? He was a man of faith, but he was a man who thought he was washed up. Is there anybody here today who thinks you're washed up? Have your days passed? Is opportunity in the rearview mirror in your life? And you're just marking time until that day when you die? Well, this passage of Scripture and supportive passages of Scripture, helps, helps, they help us to understand the reason for our feeling washed up. And the reason is simple. It's that our plans, your plans, my plans, are torn apart. That's what Job says, isn't it? Let's look again at the passage. My days are past. My plans are torn apart. Now, what were his plans? Well, he explains what they were in a general way in the last line of verse 11. The wishes of my heart. I'm going to come back to that a bit later. But let me speculate with you about the plans that Job had. Think about that for a minute. We really don't know exactly what those plans were. But I could imagine he was a man who probably was in the prime of his life. And as he was looking at all the things which he had accumulated in his life and all the relationships that he had in his life, he might have begun to plan about the future. Maybe he was thinking about expanding his business. And not for selfish reasons necessarily. After all, he did have ten children. And probably he would like to go out with the understanding and knowledge that those ten children were well set up. Maybe he thought about putting them into business. Or maybe he thought about the proceeds coming from the riches which he had accumulated would be used to help other people. We know that he was a man who cared about the poor. He talks about that in the 31st chapter of the book of Job. And maybe as he thought about his plans, he was thinking about an enjoyable retirement. He may have hired a good financial planner to work out things so that he could just comfortably retire. During his retirement, maybe he thought, maybe I'll be able to run for public office, or maybe I'll be able to spend time studying. Maybe I'll have some time to really have quality interaction with my grandkids, something which I may have missed building up all this empire that I've built up with my own children. But that was no longer a possibility, was it? And I can imagine, as he thought about his situation, he didn't begin thinking this way, I don't imagine, but I would suggest to you that as he thought about his situation, he began to say, it's too late to start over. Where would the wealth come from? I'm too tired. I'm too old to have children of my own again. Those kinds of things might have entered into the mind of Job as he was establishing his plans. His plans were torn apart. Different translations translate that word torn apart differently. The King James Version says broken off. Another version says they are shattered. His plans were shattered. Is there anyone here today who senses that the plans of your life have been shattered, 
torn apart, broken off? Now, here's a very important question regarding the tearing apart of Job's plans. Who tore them apart? Did Satan tear them apart? Well, in a sense, Satan did tear them apart. And this is not a very popular truth that I'm going to share with you, but it is the truth. God was the one who tore Job's plans apart. Because in Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you, Satan, have incited me to destroy him. Although there is no reason for me to destroy him. God was the one who, in a sense, said, Here's my servant Job, Satan. Have at him. Hold your place here in Job and turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 6. Notice what the Word of God says in verses 1 and following. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. In Job's case, God was the one who tore up his plans. God was the one who wounded him. And it may be true in your life. You may have some difficulty that you're currently experiencing or some difficulty that you have experienced in the past. And there will be difficulties in the future for all of us who follow Christ. The Bible says those who wish to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's inevitable if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be a certain amount of suffering which enters into our lives. It's doubtful that we'll have the degree of suffering that Job underwent, but we will have difficulty in our lives of different kinds as a result of our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ and our discipleship and following Him. But the good news is, if the Lord tears us, what does this Word of God tell us? He will heal us. If He wounds us, He will bandage us. Here's the good news about our God. There are many good things which I could say about Him and still would not have said enough. But this is one thing that I can be sure of. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that our God knows the end from the beginning. We only live from this point forward. We have hindsight, but we do not know what lies ahead. God does, though. He knows the end from the beginning, and He knows what's out there in the end, and the end is good for all of us, including Job, if we know the Lord and follow the Lord. We know that God does cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to his purpose. Now look at verse 2. As an aside also, look at verse 2. He, that is God, will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Does that remind you of someone who's pretty important to us? Who does that remind you of? Jesus, right? This is an Old Testament prophecy regarding what's going to happen to the Messiah, Christ, Jesus. He's going to die, but then he's going to be revived after three days. He's going to be raised from the dead. That's the good news. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, learned obedience through what he suffered. He was wounded 
for our transgressions. And according to Isaiah 53, who laid the iniquities of man upon Jesus? Who did it? God the Father did it. So that you and I could have the possibility of our salvation coming. So who tore the plans of Job apart? In my mind's eye, I can see God standing with the business plan of Job in his hands. Or the plan for retirement in Job in his hands. Or the plan regarding his children. And God just tearing it apart. It seems so cruel when we see that happening. If we did not know that our God is a good God and he's a purposeful God. And he does these things for good reason. To build us up and also to glorify himself. Now, why did God tear these plans apart? Well, they were Job's plans. There's one word in Job 17, 11 that's repeated three times. It's the word my. My days are past. My plans are torn apart. Even the wishes of my heart. And the word translated wishes is translated desires in the English Standard Version, the New International Version. It's translated by the English word thoughts in the King James Version. Here is what it really means. According to Brown, Driver, and Briggs, who are lexicographers of the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, and I like this, it really gives us insight. It translates the Hebrew word this way, my cherished thoughts. These thoughts were thoughts that Job rolled over in his mind over and over again. When he was not focused on some task, he was thinking about those plans. They were just rolling over in his mind. He had trouble going to sleep at night as he lay in his bed. These thoughts were coming. When he would wake up in the morning, these plans were rolling over in his mind. They were the cherished thoughts of his heart. Now, here's a word of warning for us regarding those thoughts that enter into our hearts which we cherish. Remember what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That applies even to the redeemed heart. Who can really know all the treachery that still resides even in the heart of people who know the Lord? The thoughts of his heart, these cherished thoughts. Now, shift gears with me just a moment. And remember what God the Father says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. He said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We must always, if we're going to not cave in to this washed up kind of thinking. We must always defer to the ways of the Lord and defer to the thoughts of God and always measure our cherished thoughts, our plans, by the plans and the cherished thoughts of the Lord Himself. Turn to James chapter 4. Let's begin reading at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. 
You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We always need to bring our plans, regardless of what area of life these plans pertain to. We have to bring those plans before the Lord. And here's my tendency. I get my plans together and I take them to the Lord and say, Lord, bless these, please. What's wrong with that thinking? They're my plans. And quite honestly, God's not going to bless your plans or my plans. He will only bless his own plans. And it's a good plan which God has. Those plans are very significant and very good. Jeremiah 29, 11, you could quote it probably. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Are you aware of the state that the people to whom he first wrote those words found themselves in? Do you know where they were? Do you know what their condition was? They were slaves in exile in Babylon. A false prophet had just predicted that they were going to be sprung from their exile. And wouldn't that be great news? They'd been there about two years. Wouldn't that be wonderful to know, hey, it's over. It's over. I had an experience like that in my life one time. I had gone through a very difficult time for two years, and it looked like it was over. And I was saying, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I'm ready to get out of here. But that trial in my life lasted another eight years in my life. I was not happy when I discovered that God wasn't ready to do what I wanted him to do. He was working in my life. And to these to whom these words, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. These words were written to people. And in addition to that, God told them. This is what he told them to do. He said, first of all, you're going to be there 68 more years. Wow. 68 more years? And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give your daughters and sons in marriage. I want you to plant your crops. I want you to build your houses. And then here's what I want you to do. And this will be more difficult for you, perhaps. I want you to pray for the peace of Babylon. We talk about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Imagine praying for the peace of Babylon. Imagine that. And that's what God told them to do. God's ways are not our ways. Remember this. God's plans are different in many cases than ours, and we always have to test our plans by God's plans. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 18, where God led Jeremiah to the potter's house, and there was an an enacted parable, beginning with verse 1 of Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The potter in this parable clearly represents God. And in Isaiah 64, 8, this is what the Bible says about God. O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. 
Now, the good news is, when the sovereign act of God seems harsh, when He tears our plans apart, when He shatters our plans, when He breaks our plans off, when He dashes the desires of our hearts, when our dreams die, the good news is this, we have a Father in heaven who knows our name and who loves us very, very much and who has a purpose for our lives. Twyla Paris has a song with this line in it that reflects this passage of Scripture. When you cannot trace God's hand, you can trust His heart. Because He's a loving God. We see that in what He's done for us through Jesus. God is the Father. He's the potter. The wheel are the circumstances of our lives. Your parentage, the environment in which you were raised, the opportunities which you were given, the opportunities which you missed, the opportunities which you did not take advantage of, all the circumstances of your life, that is represented by the wheel. And, of course, the clay represents us. Now, notice carefully, when the potter was working on the wheel, he found something in the clay that displeased him, and therefore he crushed it and he started all over again. He broke it he started all over again. The good news is he didn't throw the clay away. And the good news for you and me is when there's something in us that is self-centered, and here was the primary sin of Job. Job was a self-righteous man. He was a blameless and upright man, but self-righteousness had crept into his life, and God needed to get rid of that self-righteousness, and he did it in an extreme way in his life by breaking him. And that's what the Lord does for us. But Job was not really finished. The scripture says his days were past. Days still remain for Job and some very good ones as we're going to see before we finish together today. So the reason that you think you're washed up is that your plans have been torn apart. But the purpose of what goes on in our lives when our plans are torn apart is so that we will fully rely upon God. The truth is, we must be washed up so God's plan can really kick in. Job comes to the end of this terrible experience. Job 42, 5 and 6, he says, Until now my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. Let that soak in for a moment. And repent in dust and ashes. What was it about himself that he despised? Are we supposed to hate ourselves? I don't think so. But we are to despise that part of us that is self-righteous in orientation. And it's so subtle. We need to be careful. We need to continually bring our lives under the scrutiny of God's Word by the Spirit of God so that He can reveal those areas of our lives which are self-oriented. Job had that experience. Turn to Job 42. Do you like stories that have a happy ending? I do. And for everyone who knows the Lord, your story will have a happy ending. Let's read beginning with verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And there's an important point too. He could have been angry at his friends and probably was to a certain extent, but he prayed for them. He interceded for them. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Now follow this. 
Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep. Do you remember how many he started out with when all this calamity began to enter into his life? He had 7,000 sheep. So this confirms what we read in verse 10. He had twice as many sheep. He had 6,000 camels. Now he had had 3,000 before. 1,000 yoke of oxen. He had had 500 yoke before. 1,000 female donkeys. He had had 500. So the Lord gave him more, did he not? Twofold. And he had seven sons and three daughters. You might say, well, this isn't twofold. He should have gotten 20. But remember, those 10, and I'm hoping this is true, I think it's right, were in heaven by now. So he doubled his children, didn't he? He had 20 children. And he named the first Jemima, and the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. Wow. Which would lead one to believe he was probably about 70 when all these things began to befall him that were so negative, when his plans were being torn apart. And saw his sons, now look at this, and his grandsons, four generations. He didn't just have grandkids he can dote on. He had great-grandkids, and he had great-great-grandchildren whom he could love. The Lord restored his life. His days were past as far as he was concerned. His plans were torn apart. Even the desires of his hearts were gone. And the last verse says, And Job died an old man and full of days. Now, as we finish up today, it's important that your days pass. And your plans are torn apart. It's important that your desires, your cherished thoughts, die. Because as long as they exist, God's day will not come in your life and in the lives of others through you. And God's plan cannot be enacted until we lay our plans down. And we say, Lord, whatever you want. I'm deferring to you. I'm yielding to you, Lord. I'm humbling myself before you. And remember, this is the day. This became, I'm sure, the mantra of Job. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm not going to live so much for the future anymore. And that is characteristic of people, by the way, who suffer some kind of illness or some kind of tragedy. It has the effect of their learning to live one day at a time. Reflecting what Jesus says when he says, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What happened in Job's life was that his desire changed. One of the names for God is the desire of the nations. What a wonderful name for our God. In order for God to be the desire of a nation... He must become the desire of individuals. What was the desire of Job's heart? His plans. And finally, when they were torn apart, then Job was able to focus on the Lord. Remember what David says in Psalm 42. He says, As the deer pants for the water, so my heart pants for you or longs for you, O Lord. Turn to Isaiah 26. 
as you're turning there, I was thinking about Job and what I mentioned earlier in the message about he would say, how can I recapture all this wealth I worked so hard to accumulate? How can I have children again, a man at my age? He forgot who gave him the wealth to begin with. Somehow, somewhere along the line, he'd forgotten. The Lord is the one who gives us the capacity to make money, Deuteronomy 8.18. And he'd forgotten who had opened the womb of his wife so that his wife could conceive. We know the Lord opens wombs, Genesis 29.31, speaking of Leah. And he closes wombs, speaking of Rachel, the other wife of Jacob, in Genesis 32. God had done these things. It was the Lord's doing had nothing to do with Job. And when we begin to trust God, we see God do the supernatural, the unpredictable. Now, pick up with me, please, in the second part of verse 8 of Isaiah 26. Thy name, even thy memory, is the desire of our souls. At night my soul longs for thee. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks thee diligently. Instead of as he lay on his bed prior to all these things happening, these plans running through his mind, his plans running through his mind, when he would lie down at night in his bed, what would go through his mind? His spirit would seek the Lord diligently. And the Lord was the desire of his soul. What about you? Where does God rank in your desires? When you have idle moments, where does your mind go? Is God the desire, not only of the nations, but the desire of your heart? This past week, I was reading about a baseball player, Frank Thomas, who is, at least one time, was considered a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. He's a slugger, great player. But two years ago, three really, his career began to take a fall. It looked like he was washed up. He had some injuries, and he lost his eye for the baseball. He was not knocking it out of the park with the regularity with which he had done throughout the other part of his career. In fact, in the years 2004 and 2005, he only hit a combined 30 home runs. Here's a guy who was used to hitting about 40 home runs a year. He only hit 30 in those two years. He was used to driving in about 120 to 140 runs a year. He only drove in 75 runs in those two years. The Chicago White Sox, for whom he had played throughout his career, I'm sure they were just hoping he would get through that last year and they could be done with him as a player. He was washed up. And they were not going to invest any money in him as he became a free agent. His agent began to shop him around and nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him. Until the Oakland Athletics decided to take a chance on him. And here's a man who had commanded multi-million dollar contract per year. He was a stud in the baseball world. And he could only get a 500... Now, that, please forgive me for saying that. He only got a $500,000 contract. These professional athletes are ridiculous, aren't they, in terms of their lack of being in touch with the real world. Probably that was the minimum that he could earn with the number of years of professional service that he had. And he took it. This last year, he was a key component in the resurgence of the Oakland Athletics and was very important 
to leading them to the playoffs. He had 39 home runs, knocked in 119 runs this year. He was back to his old form at the age of 38. He wasn't washed up, was he? And then this last week, he signed a two-year contract with the Toronto Blue Jays, listen, for $18.2 million. Wow. To hit a baseball. Now, I couldn't hit one. He can still. And I was thinking about him washed up. What enabled him to rise up and regain the level of performance he had before? I don't know anything about his spiritual life. I would hope that he knows the Lord, and maybe it was the Lord who did what happened in his life. But what I do know on the human level, somebody gave him a chance. When nobody else wanted to give him an opportunity, there was one team, one owner of a professional baseball team who gave him a chance, and that was rewarded by the response of big hurt, Frank Thomas. And I was thinking about how the Lord looks at you and me. And when our plans have been shattered, they've been broken off, they've been torn apart, the Lord is a Lord who gives us more and more opportunity. Once we're humbled, He gives us opportunity. He says, now, you're ready to implement my plan in your life and to bring glory and honor to me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning acknowledging that we covet our plans. I do. I spend so much time working things out in my mind when I should spend more time humbling myself under your mighty hand, seeking you and making you the desire of my heart. And I pray for this church, Lord, a church that has been blessed in so many ways, a church that's proactive. Help us never to follow our own plans, Lord, our own ways. Help us to continually come before you, individually and collectively, to get direction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.